0: To Peer and to Recovery, a podcast with a focus on the profession of peer support. For more information about how to subscribe, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Danielle Donaldson. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking with Cynthia Evans about peer job development. Cynthia Evans has worked for peer-run mental health and disability organizations on the local, state, and national levels. Over the last 25 years, she has worked as a peer support specialist, job developer, trainer, consultant, and program director. Administration, grant writing and management, training, and group facilitation are among her many skills professionally. A native of Detroit, she is a gifted speaker who seeks to use life lessons learned to enhearten her peers, which means to encourage, to give confidence to, and to embolden others. Hi, Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing just great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time. Um, I I appreciate it. Uh, and hopefully, yes, you're a more gifted speaker than I am. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's just get started. Um, do you want to let everyone know how, briefly how you got started in peer support?
1: Sure. Um, as I said, I'm originally from Detroit, and I moved to Northern Virginia when I was 21. And... Had had a difficult time holding down a, a job. Um, actually, um, I was doing a lot of telemarketing, a lot of door-to-door sales, and it, it took a while before I found uh, a place where I was able to use my skills and and you know, a place that was a good fit which was a trade association. And I was working as sort of an admin assistant and was there for seven years total. And around my fifth year, I was feeling the desire to work in the mental health field. Um, I had had depression and uh, borderline personality disorder and uh, like, like a lot of people come from kind of a dysfunctional background. And I just I, I really was starting to feel some stability in my life and I wanted to get back. So happened to come across this flyer for a new peer run drop-in center. And I heard that one of the best ways to break into a new field if you don't have a degree, is to volunteer so I gave them a call and asked if they could use any volunteers and they asked me how soon could I get there so <laughs> um, and this was in uh, 1996 and I started answering the phones answering the doors um, giving general information about the services. And as the organization grew, I sort of grew along with it. And I, I worked as a peer support specialist eventually and a job developer eventually and the program director there. I was there for 12 years.
0: Wow. So what led you to become particularly interested in peer job development?
1: It was a few things. I. I've always liked the idea of teaching. I, I used to want to be an English teacher until I found out how much they made. <laughs> and um, I, I like to write. And the place where I worked was um, a place that helped folks with employment. And I found that I was able to help people with resumes and with cover letters. And because there was a need for it, I also started learning more about the employment specialist field, and that led to me being able to do workshops on resumes, cover letters, interviewing, and all the the different nuts and bolts in finding a job. And I, I think one of the motivating factors for me was that employment had really changed my life and had opened up opportunities for me that I never thought um, would be open. And I just, I wanted to share that with as many people as possible. Um, growing up in Detroit, I, I was poor. Um, and, and just a, a little bit about my background, I, uh, I come from a family where my mother uh, struggled with schizophrenia, and alcoholism, and drug addiction. And my my father took care of me most of the time, but when I was 13, I became a ward of the courts in Michigan. And between the ages of 13 and 24, I lived in about 27 different places. Uh, Group homes, foster homes, homeless shelters, uh, semi-independent living, uh, homeless, mental hospitals. And there, there was just really no stability in, in my life. And again, having a stable job at a place where I felt respected made a huge difference. And I just, I, I wanted to share that with as many people uh, as possible.
0: Wow. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, I, I can definitely see how that would, um, you know, the search for stability, you know, in some cases, you know, you do spend a lot of time at your at your job, and that becomes kind of a second home in some ways. Uh, oh, yes. So, you know, feeling comfortable in that position.
1: Um, well, and, and the important. other thing, too, is that it, it was a place where I... Uh, when I got the job, they didn't know that I was a peer, but I, my, my depression was um, showing at work, I was crying at work, and I shared with my employers that, you know, that I, I had depression, and I was really fortunate to have some understanding and intelligent employers. And they just said, well, you know, whatever, whatever it is you need to feel supported, you know, we're here for you. And the thing that I was most scared of was the kick gloves treatment. I didn't want them treating me different. Um, and I, I remember the day after that I shared with my supervisor that I, I was depressed. She came into my office and said, so how, how are you feeling today? And I said, I, I feel good. Said, Great. This is what I need you to do today. And I just felt so relieved. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I was fortunate. And I know that not that that's not always the case with everyone.
0: Right, right. So on, on that note, I guess, um, since you've been doing this for quite a while, what types of challenges have you noticed that peers and, and even peer recovery specialists face in their job search?
1: Um, you know, to, to be candid, I, I really believe that we face the same challenges, first and foremost, um, the same challenges that everybody else does, um, depending on where you live, the, the job market, may be slow or, or limiting, um, some of us don't have degrees, or we may have trouble knowing how to market ourselves to an employer, um, sometimes people aren't um, skilled at writing resumes or cover letters that show them in their best light, sometimes they don't know how to use the, the best references, um, interviewing can be a hangout. For a lot of people. I, I've seen a lot of folks who are capable of doing the jobs for which they're applying, but there are things that happen in the interview that, that keep them from, from getting hired. So I, I think first and foremost, same thing as everybody else. Plus, on top of that, um, mental health challenges and substance use disorder current co-occurring. Co- co- occurring disorders, um, those those things can contribute to some of us not being able to have a stable job history. And that's something that employers look for. Um, For people wanting to work in a peer specialist field, peer support is still a a pretty new um, career field. And Comparatively speaking, there aren't as many openings as there are with some other social service or behavioral health positions. So, to begin with, there's a there's a limited number of jobs and a lot of people competing for those jobs. Um, I think a, another thing that I've noticed is that aside from the people skills and the peer support skills that are needed to do this kind of work. Um, having good computer skills is really important, and sometimes that that gets overlooked. Um, if we're helping people to find resources online, or we're helping folks fill out applications, um, or we need to create presentations for trainings or recovery groups. All those things require a certain level of comfort with with using um, general office software and using the internet. And um, we also need to be able to do data entry and just, you know, the, the same skills that everyone else who works in behavioral health need in order to do their jobs on a day-to-day basis, we need those skills also. So those, those are some of the challenges that, um, that I've observed with people finding employment. Some are common to everyone. Some are very specific to, to peers. Um, but finding a job, particularly um, in this day and age, during COVID is, is hard. Um, and I think that there are some things that we need to make sure that we're doing in terms of um, our persistence and uh, finding other people that are also job seeking and people that we can, um, go to for support and accountability um i think all those things are, are really important
0: well and i i think uh, you're fortunate that you have the the laurie mitchell employment center up there in northern virginia with you so i'm sure that's probably a good resource for a lot of peers and peer specialists that are in that region but um and you probably can't answer this question but i'll ask you anyway do you know of any other similar types of resources um and in, in maybe other parts of virginia
1: i i can't I can't say that I do, but I can say that most government agencies do have some sort of employment resources available in the community, whether it's the state employment office or county employment offices. Um, There are even nonprofits that help people who are low income to find work. There are job clubs, um, there are sometimes churches. I, the way that we we find jobs is, is varied and uh, one of the things that I notice is that sometimes we may rely on only one or two methods for finding work when um, we need to make sure that we're we're tapping into all of these these different resources. Um, I I know that there are a lot of government um, government funded organizations in different counties that help people find work, but those can sometimes be difficult to get to, which is mm-hmm. why it's it's really important if people are able to access computers to if you're able, to um, to have a certain level of comfort with being able to research things online. Because anything that you want to know how to do, you can find out online. But if you don't have access to computers or if you're not comfortable using them, then that that's a resource that you wouldn't be able to. Um, as I'm talking, I'm reminded of this, this old, 20th century place that we used to go for information. Um, do you remember those those things called libraries?
0: <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I had to dig to get to that one. Okay, libraries,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, they obviously are a wealth of information. Of course, you know, the COVID crisis um, is makes it more difficult. Uh, hopefully this is all temporary, but um, right. yeah, a library is, uh, and librarians themselves are a, a wonderful resource.
1: Right, and something you'll often find in, in libraries are groups that meet. Um, the, the number one way of finding a job is still networking. It's It's not, Um, monster.com or careerbuilder.com or even LinkedIn. It's still your, your personal network. And, you know, when you get around other people, you start to find out about opportunities that you wouldn't hear about otherwise.
0: Well, and let me ask you a question about that. Um, Because, i i think I've probably talked about this on the podcast before. I actually have pretty severe um social anxiety, and so you know networking particularly in person is really just um you know even just talking about it it kind of sets me on edge. so do you have any particular skills or, or not skills but um what do you what do you recommend for for peers who who want to build their network, but that's something that they struggle with as well.
1: Um, Baby steps. And I think that if you're part of any sort of support group, um, that's always a good place to start. Um, There are recovery programs that deal specifically with, with finances where you can talk with other people that are also um, looking to make career changes. I, I like the idea of practicing with my friends. Um, I'm, I'm also a 12-stepper and I, I've been able to um, pick up the phone and say, hey, I need to go to such and such event and believe it or not, I'm, I'm not always comfortable dealing with crowds. I'm, I'm an introvert mm-hmm. and I, I would much rather be by myself than to have to be in a room full of people and have to interact. And just getting tips from people um, over the phone that know me helps and it also helps to to not set unrealistic expectations you know I I don't have to go into a situation and be the life of the party I can just go and sit and listen and um, you know partake of whatever you know food and beverages and free stuff they have there and I can make it a point to introduce myself to one person, and that's it, you know, and it's just, it's baby steps. So,
0: because this podcast is, is uh, you know, our audience is peer recovery specialists, how can peer recovery specialists support the peers that they work with in their job search or their job development?
1: Well, first of all role playing you know being the people that help people with networking or if um, someone doesn't know how to call call if they, if they want to work retail. Being someone that you can do a role play with pretend that you're coming into the store and asking about you know, are you hiring is there an application, what can you tell me about the business that's. That's the second most important thing that I think peer recovery specialists can do to help people. The most important thing, um, and, and, and this is just my personal opinion, um, which is not humble at all, by the way. Um, <laughs> the most important thing is we can help people dream. Hmm. Um, I don't think we dream enough. I don't think we allow ourselves to dream enough I, I had a job developer when I was 20, 22 years old who asked me a huge question. He said, how would you like to make 25000 a year? What, what do you think your life would be like if, I, if you made that, that much money? And I was getting, I, I don't know, something like 400 $450 a month and I was living in a residential program, had never held down a job longer than four months at a time. So 25,000 a year was just that my life would be amazing. And he and I worked together and we just took some baby steps where he helped me take baby steps. And within a couple of years, I was making 25,000 a year. Now, what he didn't tell me was that by the time I was making that much money, my lifestyle would be completely different and I would have a car note and insurance and I'd be paying my own rent and I would need 30,000 to be comfortable. He <laughs> left that part out. Right. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that I, I've seen often is fear of losing benefits. Um, And this fear that if I get a job and I lose my benefits, what if something happens, I could end up homeless again. And as somebody who has been homeless, um, I, I know how real that that fear is. I also know what it feels like to get keys to a car. Because um, when I when I took driver's ed at 15, I got in an accident, and I just figured that, you know, poor, mentally ill people from Detroit aren't supposed to drive, until I got a job where everybody at the office was driving except me, and I'm like, well, you know, they keep coming to me to ask how to fix the copier, and they all drive, so maybe maybe this driving thing isn't that hard. Um, I, I, I would like peer recovery specialists to encourage people to dream a little and not that everybody who comes to us and says, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be president of the United States, help me do that, that we're just, oh yeah, you can do whatever you want. I think I think if there are dreams, And if we're working with people to try to make those dreams a reality, um, people tend to get further than if we encourage them to just stay safe. And in some cases, stay poor. There's a lot of poverty among peers. And um, I think it's very intelligent for people to guard their income and if they're if they're receiving SSI or SSDI, I, I do not believe that people should just get rid of their benefits and go to work and whatever happens, happens. But I, I do believe that um, encouraging people to live as far away from benefits as they're able to, um, yeah, that's, that's what I
0: advocate for. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I know that that I, I've, I've heard that come up a lot as well. Um, the concern about losing benefits. Um, yet, the, you're, you're absolutely right, you know, the, the, the need for humans to dream um, is so very important. Uh, and, to, we need to encourage that in, in as many ways as possible to keep, uh, to keep hope alive. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, again, on the subject of peer recovery specialists, what do you see for the future of, um, the profession, uh, and, and professional development for, for PRSs? Do you, um, have any insights as to what you see uh, happening?
1: Well, I, I I think one thing that's needed is we we need more um, job positions besides just peer recovery specialists um, because those those jobs are often part time or um, they don't pay that well and. If you've been a peer recovery specialist for a while, it would it would be nice to know that there's a career path that you can eventually become a supervisor or a director. Or if you um, have a particular aspect of peer specialist work that you're that you're really good at, that you can continue in this field doing just that. For example, if you really enjoy facilitating um, peer support groups. It would be great if there were different uh, positions that opened up that allowed people to do that, but also do it um, at a higher level so that you can move from you know, mid-30s to mid-50s to mid-70s in terms of um, annual salary. Um, that's one thing. The other is I think is more peer run organizations open. Every organization needs people to run it. Um, there need to be managers, supervisors, somebody has to do accounting, somebody has to do marketing. Um, someone has to do the, the communications piece, the online piece. Um, and I I think it's I think a lot of us get into this field because we want so much to to help others and um, I, I actually found pretty early on that I didn't want to continue being a peer recovery specialist because I, I have other skills. I have other things that I enjoy doing. And I also found that for me, um, I do a lot of peer support in my personal life and I felt better not having to do it as part of my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the last 25 years, I've, I've always worked at organizations that are working towards the greater good so if I was a program director or if I was um, consulting or helping with fundraising or doing trainings um, I was still contributing to things that I believed in I was still working in the mental health and behavioral health field so um, something else that I, I encourage peer recovery specialists to think about Is, are there other types of jobs that you can be doing that allow you to do things that you enjoy that allow you to have um, a comfortable living? um, And still allow you to say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm using the best parts of myself to help other people in recovery, even if it's not on that one-on-one basis.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely important. We um, we at the at the Virginia Peer Recovery Specialist Network um, do see how many people out there that are aspiring peer specialists. They really want to get into the field, um, but as you said, uh, we number one, it's still a new profession, so the jobs are not out there. They're not on every street corner yet, and you know, and then of course, unfortunately, you add on. You know, the current COVID crisis, which is has made things more difficult. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there there needs to be a career path because there's a lot of people that have been doing this job for a long time already. So, right. of course, they want to grow and develop and expand um, the profession, and you know, as well as make room for the new people who want to come in. And um, I'm with you. You know, one-on-one peer support is not really um, my particular specialty, but um, I do, you know, I am able to work within peer support, supporting peer specialists, and using some other skills that I've picked up along the way. So I I agree with you. I think it's very important to encourage people who are interested in peer support that um, it doesn't all have to be the one-on-one and you can bring your other skills that you've used, um, you know, that you've collected along the way. In this profession, there's a lot of different ways to do peer support.
1: Um, Right. And, and, you know, the the other thing along those lines is not everything that we do in peer support has to be under the umbrella of an employer. Um, If you are a RAT facilitator, for example, um, there are a lot of people in the community who have never heard of RAP. Mm-hmm. And um, not everyone who is a peer is um, poor. There are a lot of people who would um, love to, to pay a, a nominal fee for an eight-week class that has the uh, potential to give them a new lease on life. So I, I always encourage people to sort of think outside the box. And if there's something that you want to do, and because I, I find sometimes people at, at their job say, I really want to do X, but I can't do it at work. Well, okay. Um, well, if this is something that you can do on your own time, and you know, perhaps get permission from your job to, to do this on a freelance basis, I encourage people to do that as well. Um, I, I enjoy training, and I may um, have the opportunity to do a training that's outside of the work that I do um, at my job. And if an opportunity like that came up, um, Yeah, I'd I'd like to pursue it, and and not feel that just because I I work at a particular organization, that whatever I do as part of my job is really it.
0: Yeah, and I'd I'd love to see personally. I'd just love to see some more. Entrepreneurs. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see people starting their own thing. You know, if 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 what you're doing is not quite um, scratching that itch that you have, uh, see if you can make it happen on your own. Um, I, I, yeah. I I I would love to see um, you know peer specialists, you know, doing it for themselves, type of thing. You know, being more control in more control of their career from kind of start to finish. Uh, But that's my own personal
1: opinion. (laughs) Um, Well, and I I agree with you 100%. I I don't like the idea of people sort of waiting for uh, a job opportunity to open up in order for them to to move into something that they want to do. Because... um, you know, those those opportunities are, are, especially, again, given, you know, where we are with this pandemic, um, priorities can change. Mm-hmm.
0: So did you, uh, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with the audience?
1: Just that I, it, it's really exciting to see the number of people that are hearing about uh, the recovery specialist field and are wanting to use their their experience strength and help to to help others and um and with regard to employment i i think it's important even if you if your primary job isn't being an employment specialist to uh to learn what you can about effective um, ways of finding employment, because sometimes um, if we give the wrong advice to people as they're looking for work, it can be, um, I, and just as an example, I, I overheard a um, peer support specialist telling someone that it's okay to use family members as references. Um, and the job developer with me wanted to intervene and say, mm, "No, not a good idea." Uh, <laughs> but um, I think I, I think it, it's helpful if we if we learn a little bit about employment, a little bit about socialization, a little bit about you know health and, and physical wellness, and all all these different things that go into um, helping people have healthier, richer lives.
0: Well, thank you, uh, Cynthia, for uh, spending some time with us today. I really appreciate your sharing your expertise with us.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you also for, for the awesome work that you do at um, Mental Health America of Virginia. You guys are awesome.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, thanks for listening to the Peer into Recovery podcast brought to you today by the Virginia Peer Recovery Specialist Network and Mental Health America Virginia. If you like our show and would like to subscribe, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. And please leave us a review on iTunes. Take good care of yourselves and we hope to talk to you soon.